like to invite you to turn with me this morning to the book of Psalms, chapter 73. You know, for the last few weeks, we've sort of kind of been on a uh, sort of a theme as to Jesus is coming, so what does that mean? Uh, not only his first coming, but his second coming. I don't necessarily know that I will deal with that specifically today, um, other than the fact that what we have on our mind are the things that that we want to at least read and cover, we could very well uh, apply to the Lord Jesus Christ in a in a wonderful way. Uh, you know, before church started, we kind of kind of had a, a little small devotional session, as you may say, of of recognizing the difficulties and and problems that uh, all of us are encountering on a, a varied sort of way in the world around us. Um, I think. Psalm 73 uh, has has always sort of been kind of a favorite of mine in recognizing troubles and difficulties and problems that come to us as God's people in this world. Um, It it really is a psalm about trouble. Now, if you wanted a message about Jesus is coming, so what? You could very well entitle that, Troubles Don't Trouble Jesus. Troubles don't trouble Jesus. And he proved that by walking on the water to the disciples when they felt like that their life was probably nearly at an end. The troubles that they were experiencing didn't trouble him. Or as well when he was with them in the ship one time, asleep in the hinder part of the ship, the troubles that they encountered did not trouble him. They kept the disciples awake, but he was fast asleep. Now, you kind of can parallel that, though, with Jonah, because there was a time when Jonah was in a boat and there was a great storm arising and Jonah was down in the bottom of the ship asleep. There's a little different scenario there that Jonah was asleep because he didn't have enough sense to pay attention. Jesus was asleep because he had enough sense to realize troubles don't trouble him. But in our life and in your life, I'm not Jesus. I, that, that was a little too quick of an amen for that one. But you know what? That's right. There's three in the Godhead, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and you ain't one of them. Right? Psalm 73 begins by saying in the first verse, Truly God is good to Israel. Now that, that is a great statement. That is a true statement that, that Asaph begins this psalm with. This is a true statement. God is good to Israel. The problem oftentimes that we get into this is we rate the goodness of God based on the goodness in our life. Not necessarily that I'm a good person, but I got a good house. I've got a fine car. I have money in the bank. I have food in the refrigerator, clothes on my back. My children tolerate me. My wife likes me. My parents are still alive. God is good. Well, if you had no house and were homeless, would God still be good? If you had no car and you had to walk, would God still be good? 
If we had no food and we were perishing with hunger, would God still be good? If my children walk out on me, my wife leaves me, and my parents are no longer on this earth, is God still good? Yes, He is. He's good whether I see it or not. We walk outside today. It's kind of cloudy out here today. And we might say, the sun's not shining. The sun is shining. You just can't see it. It's still shining. The clouds of this life have kind of covered it a little bit, but the sun is still shining and God is still good and God is good all the time. So when someone tags this on their car, God is good because I've got this car. Okay, you want to give God praise that he's given you something? I have a problem with that. If you want to take that psalm that says, this is the day that the Lord hath made, we will rejoice and be glad in it, that's fine. But it's not really what that psalm means. It it doesn't mean today's Monday, this is the day God has made. If you go back and you read that psalm, it's what it's uh, Psalm 118, verse 24, I think is what it is. This is the day that the Lord hath made. If you go and you read that, it has nothing to do with the day of the week. It has everything to do with the first coming of Christ. Christ is crucified on the cross. He's a stumbling block under the Jews. This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will be glad and we will rejoice in it, is what that text means. When Christ came the first time, though He was rejected of men, He came to die for our sins. This is the day that God hath made, and we better rejoice in Him dying on the cross for us, because we got nothing else to rejoice in if He didn't die for us. God is good to Israel. Ain't no doubt about that. But then He says, even to such as are of a clean heart. Well, that's to be understood properly. Sure, if somebody has a clean heart, somebody is a good person. Paul speaks in Romans that for a good man, some would dare to die. For a righteous man, many might would give their life. But God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't die for the good. He didn't die for the godly. He didn't die for the great. He died for people like you and me. The broken. The fallen. The sinful. The dead in sin. What's God going to do for people like us? We know God's good to Israel. Common sense would tell you that anybody likes somebody who is like a bull. Of course, the Bible tells us that uh, he that hath friends must show himself friendly. You, you want to have friends in life? You've got to be a friendly person. You want to walk around all the time like a cockerbur under a saddle blanket? Ain't nobody going to like you. That's just, you want, to, you want to come to church and go out of here and look like you were baptized in lemon juice? Nobody's going to like you. You know, it's not my fault I was baptized in January in a creek. Been kind of chilly ever since. Most people say he's kind of a cold preacher. Well, that's not my fault. It was good enough for their grandparents, so I got it too. I'd have much rather been in a heated tub like some of you lazy, I know, some of you folk nowadays that were baptized, you know, in heated water. Maybe that's why y'all such warm people. But at any rate, he that hath friends must show himself friendly. But Asaph says, but as for me. See, where do you fit in that? As for me, 
He says, my feet were almost gone and my steps had well nigh slipped. Now, what he's got here is he's, Asaph is going to have a problem with perspective. And really, that's a, that's a big trouble for a lot of us, is it not? A problem of perspective. Um, which is why a lot of us, older in life, we carry around these things right here that we put on our face. Because our, our vision changes. And our perspective on things changes. You're either nearsighted or farsighted. You either have bifocals, trifocals, or no focals, right? Asaph is going to have a problem with perspective. And I'm going to go ahead and give you, I'm going to go ahead and give you a little hint also to this, to this psalm. Uh, Asaph has a problem with things that he sees in the first, um, oh, let's see, 12, 13 verses of this psalm. And then when he gets his perspective, uh, focused properly, he still has a problem. Not with what he sees, but with what he knows about himself. So really in life, you're either going to have problems with folks on the outside, or you're going to have problems with folks on the inside. And the only way really to get rid of all the troubles in life is to get rid of all the people, the folks on the outside and the folks on the inside. Person on the inside. He says here, he says, but as for me, my steps were well nigh slipped or my feet were almost gone. Why? He says, I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You ever been envious of the foolish? There is that old saying that um, when you're dead, the pain doesn't stop. It's just transferred to someone else. The pain is transferred to those who are around you and those who love you. The actor Keanu Reeves was kind of pressed one time on a talk show about... uh, I think the guy was trying to be a little sarcastic and silly to him and said, what do you think happens when we die? You know, is there an afterlife? Is there a heaven? That's what he's expecting him to say. And he very wisely said, I, I believe that those who love you will miss you. I wish I could take it. Maybe when he dies, I'll take credit for that, saying that. But that's a great statement. What happens when you die? Yeah, those who love you will miss you. The, the pain that's in your life stops for you. Depending on where you end up, it stops for you. But in one sense, though, it gets transferred to someone else. The saying goes on. That when you die, the pain doesn't end. It just gets transferred to someone else. You just don't know about it. The same applies to if you're stupid. You don't know how dumb you are, but the rest of us are afflicted by the pain that you are causing. Is what that means. You see the foolish around you and you see the things that they do. And it's just like, you know, how many times are you going to hit yourself in the head with a hammer before you realize that hurts? 
But you know, there's there's a there's a little there's a cute little video on, on Facebook of two two little boys. And of course the caption is is why girls live longer than boys is they're standing here by one of these little round metal trash cans with the foot pedal on it. And you know, you hit the foot pedal and the thing comes up like that, you know? And and so there's one standing in front of it with his foot on the pedal and one standing on the other side and he hit hit the pedal and the thing comes up and whacks the kid in the head and he just giggles and giggles and giggles and he stands back and he does it again. Whack and then that's not enough. They then they switch places and the other one does it. And it's like Wow. Now that's about half cute when they're three. It's a little different when they're twenty three. Still doing the same thing. Asaph is a little bit envious of the foolish. But they don't have the good sense to recognize what they're doing is hurtful and it doesn't seem to hurt them at the same time. You ever known anybody like that? I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then he, he kind of he lists here some characteristics. There are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. In other words, there's no bands. There's no, there's no holding back the death of the wicked, right? I mean, just every generation has a new generation that arises and says, we're going to challenge the establishment, right? Then here's another problem with this. This is what we're kind of getting to. Verse 5 says, they are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. There are people in your life who do not have the troubles that you have. There are people in your life who are not plagued with the problems you are plagued with. Now, we're, at this point, we're really kind of not talking about wealth. We're really kind of not talking about food. We're not talking about having food and raiment. There's a bigger problem that mankind has that he's really sometimes not aware of. The wicked have no fear of God, and they're not troubled by that. We as God's people know God, and at times that does bother us. But let's digress just for a little bit. Let's just read what this text says. I'd like to read a few verses here. He says, they are not in trouble as other men. Well, verse 4 says, there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. I constantly think about um, uh, the summer of love in 2020. Remember the summer of love from 2020? When folks loved to run to and fro and burn our cities down? And nothing really seemed to happen to those folks. They terrorized people. They burned businesses down. They shot people. And nothing happened to them. Our government was a little more concerned with some misdemeanor activity that occurred one day rather than the burning down of towns and cities all across America. And it just never seemed to stop, did it? There's no bans in their death. There's no stopping in their death. There's no halting. One dies, another one raises up just as bad or as worse as the one before it. And he says, because of all of this, verse 6, he says that pride compasses them about as a chain. Now, when when you read through the Bible and you start trying to kind of comprehend this particular text, 
Pride compasses them about as with a chain. You might think of uh, that chain over there in Revelation 20 where the devil is bound. That's not what he's talking about. You need to think about when Joseph was raised to second in command down in Egypt. And it says that Pharaoh put around his neck a golden chain. You need to think about Daniel in the book of Daniel chapter 5 when Belshazzar had this great dream, this hand comes out here writing on a wall and he says, whoever gives me the interpretation of this, I shall adorn him with a chain of gold. We're talking about something here uh, that, that's an, uh, an emblem of prosperity or it's an emblem of honor. In other words, the wicked, because they are not necessarily judged by God right now, wear their pride as a chain, an ornament of honor. Human beings are full of pride. We know this. That's where all of this started. With Adam and Eve in the garden, it started with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Any of y'all still watch football once in a while? Man, these professional guys, they, they, are, they, they take pride to a whole new level. The least accomplishment in, in football is a first down. That's the least accomplishment. You take the ball, you move it 10 yards, first down, you get to start all over. What do they do when they score, when they get a first down? Yeah, look at you. Yeah, go right. Go that way. No kidding. Well done. You did what you were getting paid to do. How about that? Somebody comes in there, sacks the quarterback, throws him down on top of his head, jumps up and down, flexes his muscles. Yeah, look at me. Wow. You did the same thing that 700 other people have done. And 50 years prior to you. Fantastic. You've done the least accomplishment possible. How about let's score a few touchdowns here, win the game. How about let's win every game, win the Super Bowl. How about we dance after we do that? No, look at me. Look at who I am. Look at the least amount that I have done and give me a trophy for that. They are compassed about with a chain of pride as an ornament, as a declaration or a decoration of how great I am. And violence covers them as a garment. They wear their violence with pride. That's how they are known. That's how they are seen. Verse 7 says, Their eyes stand out with fatness and they have more than heart could wish. Yeah, if you don't think that this verse applies to you right now, <clears throat> ask a kid what he wants for Christmas. You ask a kid what they want for Christmas right now. If I could ask a child, maybe I could ask Lilia right here. Lilia, what do you want for Christmas next year? I'm not saying a word. She ain't going to answer. Ask me what I want for Christmas. No, never mind. But what do they tell you? I don't know. You know why? We, we have more than we want. We have more than we need. I learned from a young age that people would ask me, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want for Christmas? And sometimes I'd tell them. They say, well, that's too expensive. 
But that's what I want. Oh, that's too expensive. Let me just get you something. Look, if you're not going to get me what I want, don't get me anything else. How about that? How about we all just show up, we have dinner, we all go home. How about that? I know we all need that. We may not need a new toy, may not need a new set of Legos. Oh, I can't believe I said that. Golly. We may not, uh, well, everybody needs Legos. We may, uh, now actually what, what people really need, I've, I've even seen some teenagers, I think, you remember that game that kids used to have, this little, this little round game, it's got a square on it and a circle on it and a star on it and a half moon, you had to put the shapes in it. Y'all remember that? I, we're going to put one of those up at work. And anybody that comes in to buy furniture, we're going to say, if you can solve this puzzle, you can buy our furniture. Because I've had some people ask me some really crazy things. They'll buy a great big desk, 32 inches, 30, 36 inches deep, 72 inches wide, 29 inches tall, great big old thing, and they'll drive up in the smallest car possible say, can we put this in the back? I, I don't know, can you solve this puzzle? Because if you can't solve this puzzle, you can't buy our furniture. That's just, don't, it's not going to be done. Here he says they stand out with fatness. So I think I think everybody maybe maybe we all need that little puzzle to kind of help us in our life. But he says they have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and they speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Notice verse 11, it says, and they say, based on everything we've just read, this is what they say. How doth God know? And is there a knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world and they increase in riches. Now, <clears throat> let's pause right there just for a hot second. Everybody pay attention. Everybody wake up. person next to you is asleep. Wake them up. Preacher can't be a good preacher without at least one child asleep in church. Or two. I am not saying that the rich are wicked. Did not say that. No poor man has ever given me a job. It's always been the rich. The Bible does not say being rich equates to wickedness. What we are saying is that if you can oftentimes, oftentimes find both of them hand in hand. Because just like Christians who measure the goodness of God by the things that they have, the wicked measure they don't need God by the things that they have. Why should I pray? I'm the one that went to work. I'm the one that sweat for this. I'm the one that did the work. God did nothing for me. Oh, don't know what God has done for you. Uh, with this same block of Scripture, just notice uh, Job 21. Job 21, and let's see, let's look at this. Um, verse 7. Wherefore do the wicked live? Become old. Yea, are mighty in power. 
Their seed is established in their sight with them, and their offspring before their eyes. Here's an interesting phrase here. You ever heard, uh, you ever heard the political powers or the rich and mighty among us called the establishment? You know, want to know where folk got that from? Job was calling the wicked and mighty, wicked and mighty and powerful of this world the establishment 2,500 years ago. 3,500 years ago. When Job wrote this book, he's calling those up here in high places the establishment. Their seed is established with them. See, when our men go off to war, what's the phrase concerning war? Rich man's war, but it's a poor man's fight. The rich man's war, they're up here fighting with each other and disagreeing with each other. And if you don't like me and you don't do what I say, I'm going to send somebody else to go fight you for me. Be a lot less fighting in this world if the president was the first one or the king or the monarch was the first one on the line and he's facing the other king or the other monarch or the other president. There'd be a lot less fighting going on. But they're the one up here in the top. They're not really concerned about it because by today's standards in 2023, you have less, how am I trying to say this? The people involved, their children are not the ones fighting. It's you and me and our children that are out here fighting. Their children don't need, you know, the army and all the grants and the things that come from that because they have enough money to establish them in the best colleges and in the best places. And they have enough money to buy them a job somewhere else in some of the best countries, or at least in money laundering schemes, you know what I'm talking about. They are established. Their seed is established with them in their sight and their offspring before their eyes. And look at this. Their houses are safe from fear. So those people that want to take your guns are not really willing to give up their own guns. They live in the gated communities with armed guards, but tell you, surrender your weapons, we will take care of you. No, there's a reason that Russia is invading Ukraine and not America right now. That reason is the Second Amendment. There's a reason that our boys go to war and that war doesn't come here. To me, crazy rednecks here with guns. And they shoot for hobby. Just take that for what it's worth. Their houses are safe from fear. But also notice this. Notice this very next phrase. Neither is the rod of God upon them. Ooh, wasn't that something? Neither is the rod of God upon them. What, what can we think about this particular passage that the rod of God being upon them? Anybody got a scripture in mind? Perhaps somewhere in the New Testament? Perhaps written by Paul? Somewhere in the book of Hebrews? Are we getting any closer to this? 
Chapter 12. All right, I'll just give it to you. Hebrews chapter 12. The chastening rod of God. Verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 12. Well, let's just look, let's, let's look at verse 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Oh, kind of makes you want to go back to the book of Proverbs and read that verse there in about Proverbs 30 or so where it says that there is a generation that curseth their mother and their father. And the Bible reminds us that he that curseth his mother and father, his light shall be put out. Well, just look at the dumb things that our nation is doing right now. And you think, why in the world? How, why are people doing these things? Hadn't they got any sense? No, they haven't. So this is, this is not your granddaddy's world anymore. And I, I never really understood, as a child, I never really understood that. Preachers would say, this is not your granddaddy's world anymore. But then they wouldn't explain what that meant. In granddaddy's world, you could get a biblical lesson from your daddy or from the preacher or from the schoolhouse or from the barber who cut your hair. Somewhere along in your life, you'd have enough people telling you that ain't right. Imagine the surprise of some of my children when they've gone places and they've had an argument and they wanted to talk to somebody. And lo and behold, they come home and said, you know, daddy, they said the same thing you said. No kidding. Really? Imagine my mama's surprise when her idiot full son is now the pastor of a church. What are you laughing at? But see, what, what do a lot of children nowadays say when you try and correct them, when you try and tell them that's not the right thing to do? Don't tell me what to do. I'm my own person. You've got to let me make my own mistakes, so forth and so on. That's just the dumbest thing ever. I mean, yeah, you, children have to make mistakes. Sure, they have to learn that you do that. That's a mistake. It's broken. You really can't fix it. You know, child wants to throw his plate off his, off his high chair. You know, he needs to learn, if I do that, that food's not coming back. Or if it does come back, <clears throat> I ain't going to want to eat that. Here, this is no different. He said, children, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. How come, how come daddy's perspective of life, how come the preacher's perspective of life is oftentimes from a, from a negative standpoint? It's always no, 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 no. Um, y'all read the Ten Commandments, right? Y'all, do y'all know the Ten Commandments? First commandment, thou shalt have no other gods. Second commandment, thou shalt have no graven images. Third commandment, you get the pattern here? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Finally, we get to something positive. Number four, honor the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Number five, Honor thy mother and thy father. Something positive here. 
Number six, thou shalt not kill. Number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. Number eight, thou shalt not steal. Number nine, thou shalt not bear false witness. And number ten, thou shalt not covet. Now, now, how many knots did I read? I read eight of them. Eighty percent of the commandments are, no, don't do that. How many times do you have to look at a two-year-old and say, no, don't do that? How many times do you have to look at a four-year-old? How many times do you have to look at an eight-year-old? How many times do you have to look at your 16-year-old and say, no, don't do that? It's not right. How many times do you have to look at your own fool self and say, don't do that? I ain't learned that lesson yet. He said over here that the rod of God was not upon them. Verse 6, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Now that ought to tell anybody with enough sense to look through a ladder. That ought to tell anybody with enough sense who knows how to fall off a house. That if over here in the book of Job, he says the rod of God is not upon them. And over here in Hebrews, it tells us whom the Lord loves, he chastens. That ought to tell you. God don't love everybody. Because not everybody is chastened by the rod of God right now. There's some folk going to get it at the end of time. But here, whom the Lord loves, He chastens. If God loved everybody, He chastened everybody. But there's a reason that I don't whip your children. I've never whipped Jerry's children. Well, excuse me, I've never whipped Miss Gloria's grandchildren. I've never whipped Michelle's grandchildren. I've never whipped Doug's children. I've never whipped any of y'all's children. Why? They ain't my children. Number one, it's not my place. Number two, I don't care. No, it's, it's just not my place to deal with your children. Now, if I was to see them running towards the road about the danger of themselves, I think I'd like to step in and help that, you know, let's pull that to the side. But people get mad when you start whipping their children. You ever notice that? I mean, this kid's tearing Walmart down, destroying all the all the, the counters up front, throwing things everywhere. You step in and start whipping it, and all of a sudden mama wants to take up for the child. See, that's what's happening down at the schoolhouse now. Child goes in, child tears up the room, child hurts somebody, child... Punches the teacher, hits the teacher, shoots the teacher. Mom and daddy want to know, what did you do to my child? Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Catch that? We're not talking about people accepting and receiving Jesus. We're talking about people God receiving. That's a big difference right there. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons, for what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Uh, notice verse 11. This is, this is really what you kind of need to get to. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. Don't know of any child <clears throat> that's ever gotten a whipping and laughed and giggled through the whole thing. 
If he ever got a whipping and he laughed and giggled, you're doing it wrong. Sometimes daddy or mama would say, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. You're doing it wrong. Here he says, no chastening for the present seemeth joyous. It doesn't seem good right now. I got grounded. I got things taken from me. I got a weapon. I got, I got a weapon. I got a weapon, weapon, <laughs> whatever. But notice what he says here. He says, nevertheless, afterward. And I got to thinking about that word afterward. You see that word afterward? Um, <clears throat> have any of y'all been reading through the Bible plan that we laid up here on the front? Possibly some of you have, possibly some if you haven't. But uh, this, this past week, we, we, we got into Joseph being in prison. Y'all, y'all got in that? And, and Joseph was thrown into ward, W-A-R-D. And we had the hardest time. The kids kind of, ward? What? I never really heard that word. And this word is after war. Get that? After the punishment? This is, this is post-punishment, post-whipping, afterward. I don't know if that's where that word came from, but it sure did work well with what we were doing this week, so that's where I'm going. But what does he say afterward? It yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto those which are exercised thereby. And I even think that's, I even think that's a key to the word there, exercised thereby. Because if you have the mindset of this generation is that any time your parent tells you no, any time your parent takes anything away from you, any time your parent disciplines you, any time your parent whips you or does something you don't like, somehow it's the parent's the bad person. So there can be plenty of people whipped and they don't care. But if those of us who were exercised by it, uh, those of us who's... Uh, <laughs> Well, my daddy may not have believed in exorcisms, but he sure did ex- exorcise me. And there was a few demons that he needed to get out, like arrogance, pride, back-talking, things like that. And to those who are exorcised thereby, it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So in other words, when, when there's two bullies down at the, when there's two kids down at the schoolhouse and or down at the end of the street, and one of them's being the bullies, pushing everybody around. Um, zero tolerance makes zero sense. Zero tolerance makes zero sense, especially if you walk into the schoolhouse and they've got a little banner up that says, we support our troops. Why do we support our troops? Well, because somebody did something to us, and now we're doing something back. We, we're pushing back against them, right? Bully does something to me in the school hall. No, go tell a teacher. That's fine. I, I, I full well that there are times where I gotta call the cops, where I gotta call the teacher, I gotta call mom, I gotta call daddy, but there are gonna be times when I'm out in this world and there ain't nobody but me and the bully. And calling the cops is 35 minutes away. You have the right to defend yourself when being assaulted in public. That's just all there is to it. And a lot of these bullies out here in the streets We quit being bullies to certain people if those certain people had the ability to stand up to them. And when when God puts a whipping on us, it is to correct our attitude and to correct our thinking and to correct the path 
in which we are trotting in life. The very idea that I am an island unto myself and my decisions only affect me, that's a bunch of hogwash. I'm not an island unto myself. Now, if I burn my house down, uh, I do something that causes me to lose my job, that's not going to affect anybody in here. Y'all are going to have a place to live, and y'all are going to have a place to work come Monday morning. Your children are going to eat, and so forth and so on. But hold on a minute. If I do something like that, burn my house down, my children now are homeless. If I do something to lose my job, my children won't eat. See, I am not an island unto myself. And above all, if I still have a mother who loves me and cares for me, it's going to hurt her to see what I'm doing to myself. Because, see, not only are there people in this world who care for you, not only are there people in this world that care for you, not only do they care about what happens to you, they also care about what you do to yourself. So, these wicked here that Job spoke of in Job 21, he said, the rod of God is not upon them. Continue on in uh, this same chapter. Let's see, where are we at? Job 21, is that where we're at? He said, their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God upon them. That was verse 9. Now verse 10, let's notice this. Uh, he says, their bull gendereth and faileth not. Their cow calveth and casteth not her calf. In other words, they seem to be farmers that uh, just prosper all the time. Doesn't matter what their animals do, they all prosper. Cows bring forth calves. You know, the bull always succeeds with the cow, and the cow always brings forth the calf. And there's meat for the future, milk for the future, this, that, and the other. There seems to be no end to it. Um, verse 11, they send forth their little ones like a flock, and their children dance. They take the timbrel and harp and rejoice at the sound of the organ. They spend their days in wealth. And in a moment, go down to the grave. Now, as, as a child of God, we'll look at that phrase in a moment and re, we will realize the quickness that all of it ends. But as someone who doesn't care, how quickly it ends... They're going to look at the vastness of what it took to get there. In other words, I've lived my whole life this way. I've done, I've done just fine. My children dance. My children are happy. We're always having, you know, uh, big gala parties at my house. The timbrel and the dance and the organ and this, that, and the other. And in a moment, I'm gone. What does it matter? I lived well while I lived. But you still died. It all came to nothing. But in the mind of the wicked, read what the Bible says. Therefore. What's that very next verse there? Verse 14. Therefore, they say unto God, depart from us. For we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. Who is the Almighty? Who is the Almighty that we should serve Him? What do you mean humble myself? What do you mean uh, give that I have and give unto the poor? What do you mean humble yourself? What do you mean take up the cross and follow Him? 
Huh? That didn't mean anything to the wicked. They laugh at us. They mock us. Who is the Almighty that I should serve Him? As a matter of fact, people need to be serving me. Look at the trophies I've got. Look at, look at the Golden Globes and the Tony Awards that I have won for pretending to be somebody on TV. Isn't that just something? People being awarded for pretending to be somebody. And yet they show us every day just how dumb they are sometimes. This week, this week it came out in the news that there's a popular female comedian who went on a talk show and she divulged to the world or whoever was listening at that time that she did not know up until just a few years ago, and she is in her 40s, that she did not know up until just a few years ago that the sun and the moon were two different things. She thought the sun set and re-arose as the moon. Some of y'all looking kind of puzzled at me. She claimed to be on safari in Africa with her sister while riding an elephant. Her sister looked up and said, wow, it's not often you see the sun and the moon at the same time. And, and she said, huh? What, what do you mean? What do you mean the, the same thing? Now, <clears throat> let's just stop right here before we get through hanging somebody. I have been at points in my life I'll be 50 here in just two months. What's up with you? I'll be 50 here in just a few months. And believe it or not, there have been times in my life where I have discovered, wow, I didn't know that's the way that that worked. Now, maybe I was taught it. Maybe I wasn't taught it. Maybe I just didn't care. The most favorite thing that my wife likes to tell is, I discovered while we were married that potatoes grow in the ground. I didn't know that. But that was like, that was like a long time ago. How dumb are you? Look, I'm from the city, okay? I don't know that I ever thought about it. At least I'm not dumb as a person who thinks corn comes from a can down at Walmart. Just I'm not that person. But there have been times in my life where I've discovered something. Wow, I learned. Hey, I'm green. Green things grow. I learn every day. Okay? So I'll cut her a little slack on that. She's also a comedian. Claims to be a comedian. I use that term very loosely. So self-deprecation is, is one theme of comedians. Just make fun of yourself. Put yourself down, this, that, and the other. So, you know, in this day and age where some of these people are used to having all the attention from all around, you know, Madonna came out this past week and she announced in the news that she was having a hard time managing motherhood and a career. Madonna's like 65. All of her children are grown and out of the house. What do you mean you're having a hard time managing a home and a career and motherhood? No, you're having a hard time managing not being the center of attention. Because you came along before social media exploded and plastered everybody's face all over everybody's phones 24 hours a day. You're a narcissist and you're having a hard time handling that is, is, is what you're doing. You've reached the prime of your life 40 years ago and nobody cares anymore. Half of y'all don't. Anybody here know who Madonna is? Anybody here 
Anybody here don't know who Madonna is? That's not enough hands for me to make that point. Okay. Self-deprecation, though, is part of it. He's also an entertainer. Back to the back to the comedian. And attention is what a lot of these people need. You go have it, girl. Whatever. Here's the problem I have. Here's here's my issue. If you don't know that the sun and the moon are two separate entities, that's fine. We can't all be perfect. But if you don't even know how the climate works, you don't need to be lecturing people on climate change. If you hadn't got the foggiest idea how this world even works, you don't need to be lecturing the rest of us on what we need to do and not need to do about the climate that you don't even understand. Like telling me what the Bible says and means, and you hadn't even read it. See, the wicked and unbelievers in this world reject the Bible. They ain't even read it. You know what they've read? They've read what somebody else wrote about the Bible. And odds are, they hadn't even read it. Half the time that people want to talk about what the Bible says and means, they don't even know what the Bible itself says. Half the people probably still think cleanliness next to godliness is found somewhere in the Bible. Half of them probably think that hell hath no fury like a woman scorned is somewhere in the Bible. Y'all ever heard that? You know that's not in the Bible, right? Your grandmother told you that cleanliness is next to godliness, and William Shakespeare told you hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, and that really wasn't even quite the way he said it. Back to the text. They spend their days in wealth, and in a moment, go down to the grave. And therefore they say unto God, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of his ways. What is the Almighty? And I'd like you to notice here that it doesn't say who is the Almighty. Did you catch that? I didn't catch it until just now reading it. See, I'm green. Green things grow. It doesn't say who is the Almighty. It says what is the Almighty. They ain't even got him to personhood yet. They still got him as a thing. They don't even know what his pronoun is. What is the Almighty that we should serve Him? And what profit shall we have if we pray unto Him? Wasn't it, uh, wasn't it Frank Sinatra who wrote the song, I Did It My Way? Go back and read the lyrics to that song. Right in the middle of it. I did it my way, not as those that kneel. <clears throat> See, growing up as a kid, you heard a bunch of stuff come out of the radio. You didn't really understand what it was. How many of you had that moment driving down the street listening to them old tunes that you used to listen to when you was in high school, and now your kids are in the car, and your kids are singing it, and you're thinking, whoa, wow. That really is not appropriate for a child to be singing. Go back and, you know, even the folks from the 40s and the 50s, they're not immune to sin. They're not immune to telling you some paganistic 
philosophy over the airways. They were telling you the exact same thing that they're telling them now. The emperor just had a different set of clothes on. It is true in this life, if you're still in Job, that Job reminds us in Job chapter 5 and verse 7, that yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. I really like that uh, that description there in Job chapter 5 verse 7, yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. So we... Uh, <clears throat> Any of y'all ever sat around a campfire? Oh, plenty of times. And you see, you know, the sparks flying up. Any of you uh, rednecks out here ever made a burn barrel? <laughs> you say, what's the big difference about that? There's nothing fancy about a burn barrel, right? <clears throat> However, if you get a if you get a hole saw and you cut a hole about I don't know two and a half inches round, and just saying. If you kind of stuck a metal pipe in the bottom of that barrel, bottom of the barrel, not top, bottom of the barrel, and you hook maybe a eight foot pipe, ten foot pipe up to it, and at the end of that pipe you hooked maybe let's say a leaf blower up to it, and you begin to pump just an absurd amount of air through that burn barrel, you're going to get something sort of like a homemade incinerator. Man. <clears throat> This is this is on this is live. That could be cool. That could be really neat to watch that. Especially if you get above it. I suspect if you stood above it, you see the fire kind of swirling like this and going up. The the interesting thing about it is it's the hotter it gets, the cleaner it burns. See, when things are smoking, they're, they're hot enough to burn, but not hot enough to burn off the impurities. That's why that landfill out here in Leeds has been burning for about four and a half weeks now. They can't really get to it. They can't put nothing on it. And it's just kind of this smoldering fire. But in the book of Daniel, when they cast the Hebrew children in there, have you ever wondered how they heated it seven times hotter? It wasn't just piling wood in there. It's pumping air through it. And pretty soon it's going to burn really clean and almost really clear as well. That smoke goes away. Where was I going with this? Oh yeah, man that's born, he's uh, born of trouble like the sparks fly upward. See, there's there's one set of sparks that fly up on this uh, neatly lit little campfire. It's a whole different scenario standing over here by this burn barrel that's being fed with this constant flow of air that's fueling it and causing it to burn hotter and hotter. Human beings without the grace of God to control them and temper them have nothing but the, the uh, prince of the power of the air blowing through them wickedness and they burn up like sparks to the heavens. Now Asaph would say, i gotta, I got to kind of wrap this up here, uh, in 30 minutes or less. Uh, here in, let's go back to Psalm 73. Let's just catch a couple of things. Because um, you've been real patient with me uh, thus far. So Asaph talks about viewing, uh, the, being envious of the foolish, uh, seeing the prosperity of the wicked. They're not in trouble as other men are. And it's a problem to him. 
Verse 16, he says, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. So he, he considers everything that he sees. The, he sees the prosperity of the wicked. He sees the punishment and the persecution of the righteous. And he said, this is almost just, it's almost too painful for me. But there's something that changes. He says, until, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. There is a reason that you need to attend church on a regular basis. I would not say that the preacher is any smarter than anybody here. But if God has called me to preach, don't you just think that there's a possibility that He may give me something He won't give you? And He won't ever give it to you. Why? Because you need it to come not necessarily from yourself. Because we get a lot of people saying, the Lord told me. The Lord told me. There's, there's vast religions that face this planet. The, the Lord told me. And then you start looking at it and say, you know, I don't remember seeing that anywhere in the Bible. But you can't take somebody's personal experience away, even with the Bible, if they're stubborn enough to believe they're the ones that's right. You listening? There's a reason we need to come to church. Preacher may just say something that, you know what? You hadn't thought about that. Asaph says, I understood all this after I went to the sanctuary of God. After I went to the house of God. And this is what I understood. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment. Oh, there's that phrase again. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Um, in other words, you've got trouble in life, right? You've got trouble from the inside, right? But you also have trouble from people on the outside, right? How is it that these people on the outside are, are unable to continue to live and continue to cause problems and continue to do this. And, and, and the, the laws that they hand down and the rules that they hand down don't seem to bother them at all. The, the reason it's not working is you peons down here aren't doing it right. No, the reason it's not working is the plan doesn't work. Guess what? Their day is they have been set in a slippery place. They have been set in a place where they'll be cast down. They have been set in a place in, in, in a moment of time. They that think they are somebody will be brought down. That's just all there is to it. These politicians up here who are selling our country out to the highest bidder, to every foreign nation, ultimately, so what? What's it going to gain them? Nothing. We may lose our freedom in this life, but we won't never lose our freedom in Christ. We won't never lose a single thing God has done for us. And we will only get a better perspective of it when we get to heaven's pure world. But now here's the other trouble. He says in verse 21, Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So, he's prob he has a problem with what he's seeing on the outside. Now he has a problem, but where's that problem? Problem's on the inside. Because he says, 
So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. How silly is it of me to be envious of the wicked around me? That doesn't make any sense, does it? Worrying about the wicked around me doesn't, doesn't do anything for me. That's silly. I regret that I ever worried about that to start with. I was worried about it because I wasn't like them. Because maybe God doesn't love me. Because I don't have a bunch of things. Now I see I don't need things. All I need is God. Really all I need is Christ. But notice what he says in verse 23. He says, despite the regret and problems of my life. Do you notice verse 23? He says, nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Oh. If you've ever tried to walk anywhere with a child, you'll know that that is a trick unto itself. <clears throat> I've often told people that you at least need three children. If you've got two, you and your wife can tag team. One gets one, one gets the other. I think you at least need three. I think every couple at least needs three children. So you'll remember way back yonder when you said, my children will never do that. Oh, wait a minute. That's your, that's your child out there in the top of that tree? You at least need to be outnumbered a few times to realize, wow, I need help. But if you ever just tried to walk somewhere with a child, it's, you don't take them for a walk sometimes. You kind of take them for a drag, you know. And here they go. So all of a sudden, their, the legs turn to jello and then noodles, and they, they can't stand upright. And you're like, God, great. Uh, you're dragging them around, or they're, or they're just full of life. And you're like, you know, we're standing in lines. You know, there are people standing around you. Huh? People. Anybody around? Nobody, nobody in the center of the universe but me. That's why Daddy calls me son. See? I'm center of the universe. That's why I'm called son. Some, some jokes are just so brilliant people miss them. It's just, but if you've ever tried to walk with a child, you know that it is a job in and of itself. And the only reason that that child is alive today is not because he's holding your hand. Because you've held his hand. He crossed that street safely because you held his hand. He walked down the mall appropriately and didn't hurt nobody because you held his hand. And the only reason that we're able to come to church every Sunday and the only reason that we're still able to say Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And the only reason we will ever enter into the portal of glory and see the face of God in peace and joy and happiness is because He held our hand when we walked across the road. And He held our hand when we jumped up and down and screamed and shouted and were too dumb to realize what was going on around us because He held us by our hands. And He will never let go. Thank you for your attention.